Lord, uh, we wouldn't be gathered here. We wouldn't be watching from wherever we're watching online if we didn't need you. And there are days that go by that we act like we don't, and we confess that and we repent of it. But Lord, we need you. And there are people that we love and care about that desperately need you. Maybe dealing with some diagnosis, maybe some relational problem in their life, maybe just going through a hard time. And that may be our story too. Lord, we need you. Hear our cry. Help us to see you even in the darkness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I think you could probably uh, guess from the icebreaker question that Brett uh, gave us what our topic is this morning, and it's about people. And uh, there's a statement up here that's a part of the New Cove um, statement online about people. And I want to read that, and then we'll kind of jump into this thing. And it says, people are made in the spiritual image of God to be like him in character. People are the supreme objects of God's creation. And although humans have tremendous potential for good, they're marred by an attitude of disobedience toward God called sin. And this attitude separates men and women from God. And online you'll see these verses, and I'm going to refer to several of them this morning. But uh, this is what the Bible teaches about people and what we hold to. And the little diagram we've been working off of is uh, about essentials. That's the name of our uh, subject here. And in the middle, you have what's essential, and then you have what's important, and then you have what's optional. And uh, I was talking to Pastor Tim this week, and we were talking about this subject. And uh, I said to him, and he, he died laughing, he still actually has a sense of humor. And uh, he, I said, well, every church I've been to, uh, everything was essential. And he's like, yeah, isn't that the truth? But what we're trying to do with this series is kind of hone in onto those things that, that we will hold as anchors to our lives and our souls, and we will begin to live that out. Somebody in the gathering space asked me a few weeks ago, and I think it was Jimmy Arnold who asked me the question. He said, well, how do you determine what's essential and what's not essential? And that was a really good question. And so as I thought about it, uh, I thought, well, what is essential for human life on this planet? Now, I'm not a scientist. If I were, we wouldn't be getting out until after 1 o'clock to answer this question. But I thought of four things that are essential. Oxygen is essential. I mean, without it, we're 
goners, right? And water is essential. And sunlight is essential. I think it's essential in February in Nebraska, actually, for us to have human life here. Sunlight is essential and food is essential. And so in my simple way of thinking, I can come down to these things that that without this, life doesn't happen. And so the way I think about this question of what's essential and what's not essential is, what is it that when you remove that, I am no longer a follower of Jesus? I'm, I'm no longer capable of following Jesus and being everything he wants me to be if I remove that one thing. And one of the essentials is what we believe and think and how we treat people. And uh, so I, I, let me tell you a little bit about me. I grew up without defining beliefs the way we're doing there during this series. I, I never in the church I grew up with in Norman, Oklahoma, well, first of all, they didn't have a projector, right? They didn't even have an overhead. They had a blackboard. It wasn't a whiteboard. But anyway, I didn't see any of that stuff laid out and to where it's like a concise statement like this. Uh, the church I grew up, I, we didn't memorize statements or creeds that we rehearsed every week. I didn't know the difference between the Apostles' Creed and Apollo Creed. You know, that's just kind of where I was growing up. And so it, there's a sense in which we didn't have no doctrine nor nothing. And uh, it reminds me of a story that on an airplane, uh, Billy Graham was on the airplane, the, the evangelist, and there was a guy who had had a little bit too much to drink. And so the, he heard Billy Graham's on the plane, and he got up from his chair, and he, he kind of staggered back the aisle, and he said, are you Billy Graham? And Billy Graham said, Yes, I am. He said, well, put her there. I owe everything I am to you. You didn't give me no doctrine or nothing. And uh, that's kind of how I was raised. No doctrine nor nothing. But I did memorize the scripture as a kid and as a young adult. And, and the scripture itself became the core of what kind of held me together as I grew up. When I moved here to Lincoln when I was 25 to start Christian Challenge at UNL. I was at a meeting of campus pastors, and this guy came up to me, and he kind of cornered me, and he began to interrogate me about what did I believe. And I remember him saying, what do you believe about total depravity? I'd never heard those two words put together. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, uh, every man is totally depraved and there's nothing left of the image of God in him. Every person without Christ is no better than a dog. And I thought, he must be a cat guy. I usually have a two-point plan for folks like this, shun and avoid. But I couldn't with this guy, and he just kind of kept on. And uh, 
he told me, he said, God chose people. People didn't choose God. And, and I thought, well, Jesus said that no man, in John six forty four, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I thought, well, he must be talking about God's drawing all people to him. And then he said, God doesn't value anyone who's not a believer. He just sees them as a dog. He brought the dog thing up again. And what came to my mind was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I don't argue with folks like this. It's fruitless. And he was certainly not not wanting to have a conversation. And uh, he went on to berate people who don't know Jesus, that there's nothing good or of worth in any of them. And as I began to listen to his words, I thought he's just dehumanizing people. In his mind, the only people who are truly human are the people who know and follow Jesus Everyone else is subhuman. He dehumanized people. And reflecting on this story with yesterday having been National Holocaust Day, I thought, well, isn't that what the Nazis did with the Jews? In fact, they called them dogs, which kind of struck me as frightening with that conversation I had. So the question this morning is, how do we view people in general? Do we dehumanize people? I think one of the issues that we're dealing with globally with pornography is not just the immoral aspect of it, but the dehumanizing aspect, that it dehumanizes people. It makes people objects rather than persons who are loved and cared for. And so how do we see people is essential. It's essential in understanding the gospel, and it's essential in how we treat people as followers of Jesus. You know, that's kind of my starting point, being a follower of Jesus. In fact, I'd rather be called a follower of Jesus than a Christian, because Christians can have all sorts of baggage with it. But being a follower of Jesus Do I treat people the way Jesus treated people? Do I move into the world the way Jesus moved into his world as an example of God's attitude toward people and what I want my attitude to be? Well, this morning I have good news and bad news, so I'll start with the good news. Here's the good news. We are created in the image of God. Psalm 139.14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know we're all different? Have you noticed? And I think sometimes it's easier to think somebody else is more fearfully and wonderfully made than you are more fearfully and wonderfully made. And maybe that's the starting point, to say, well, I am made in the image of God. 
He made me the way he made me, as the creator and the designer. And I'm wonderful. (laughs) You ever said that about yourself when you're sober? (laughs) I'm wonderful. But you know what? You are. You're wonderful. And maybe the first correction needs to come in our own head to change our mind about who we are and what our bodies are and and the place God has given us on the earth and in relationship with him. Ethel Waters, who's a gospel singer, Broadway person, she said, I, I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. And you know what? You're somebody. God don't make no junk. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And the word that we put to this, can't, Pan can't put this, I'm putting to it, is the word dignity. Dignity is the state or quality of being worthy or honor of respect. Dignity is I'm wonderfully made. Now we might say strange but wonderful. (laughs) And isn't that true of every one of us? Because we're all different. We're unique but we're wonderful. The psalmist said, when I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. And in Psalm 8, 5, and 6, he said, you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You by God the creator, have been crowned with glory and honor. You are glorious and you deserve honor. That's what God says about you who made you and me. And he said, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. We were designed to do something. That that there's a sense of value in what we do. And if we're an electrician, then there's value in being an electrician. If we are a broadcaster from a studio on the radio, there's value in what we're doing because God has created us with glory and honor, and He wants us to exhibit this through how we rule, how we work. So your work is valuable. Your work is important. Your work shows forth the glory of God. In Genesis 1.27 it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Glory and honor made in God's image. Different from all the other animals. And the difference really isn't about gender because other animals have gender different sexes, but people, human beings, have the capacity to praise what is good and to show appreciation to one another. We're just not driven by chemistry and hormones. There's something higher in us 
because of how God created us in his image. We are relational. God designed us with a deep longing to be wanted and loved and alive and connected to him and to other people. We're relational. We need one another. Psalm 68, 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. And I think one of the wonderful things about the family of God that he's created with believers is that it's not about marriage. It's not about other things that define family. But because of our faith in Jesus, we are the family of God. We stick up with each for each other. We help each other. We pray for each other. We encourage each other along. And it's, it's great that you show up on Sundays or tune in online and listen to podcasts and music and biblical teaching on the radio or TV. But I've just got to tell you, there's no substitute for face-to-face relationship. There's no substitute for life on life, connecting with other believers. Now, people who study communication say a very high percentage of communication is the cues that we take from body language and talking to people. And uh, you just don't get that on the radio. Sorry. Uh, You just don't get the body language on the radio or the TV. Uh, Maybe a little bit on Zoom. But uh, I found that really face-to-face with somebody is better than just Zooming with them. Although that's a, that's a wonderful thing. I Zoomed a lot this week with some folks in Europe, and uh, it sure beats just the telephone. God didn't design us to be alone. In fact, lone rangers in the Christian life become dead rangers. We're just not going to make it if we're alone and isolated. And we don't make the choice to be face-to-face, life-to-life with other people. We're created to be relational with God and other people. I was at the hardware store yesterday. I just need to get a little thing to hang something on the wall. It had come loose, and, you know, you have to buy the butterfly things and screw them in to, to keep whatever it is up. And the guy that was helping me, he was uh, slow. He was limping around. He's probably in his 50s, a young man in his 50s. Can you believe I said that? (laughs) Tells you more about me than him. Uh, He was a young man, probably in his 50s. And uh, I, you know, I, I just wanted to get in and out. I had other things I needed to do, but he was kind of slow. And the Spirit just prompted me like, well, just slow down. And, uh, of course, I knew I was going to talk about this this morning, so I've been thinking about it all week, uh, which gave me a leg up on the whole situation. But anyway, I we walked down the aisle, and he was fiddling around helping me find out what I really needed because hardware stores, how do you find anything? And uh, so... 
he found this, and I began to talk to him, and he would not make eye contact with me. He was always just looking to the floor, or when he said anything, he was looking around. And so something in me, I think it was the Spirit, said, he is going to make eye contact with you. And so he had a name tag on, and so I just said, I just called his name, and I didn't say anything else. And when I called his name, didn't say anything. He looked at me with eye contact. It's like, ding, 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 ding. I got eye contact. Okay. There's somebody there. And we then began to talk about his dad is what he wanted to talk about. And how his dad left a garage just filled with junk. And, it, and I'm starting to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on me. Because I told him, I said, well, I could easily be your dad, okay? And... Uh, So we had a conversation, and by the end of the conversation, he wasn't looking around. He was looking directly at me. And I told him, I said, well, thank you so much for helping me. You're doing a great job, and I hope you have a good day. Uh, That's called human contact. And it's so often that we get irritated by people. Charlie Brown said, I love the world, it's people that give me problems. And uh, that would be true of all of us. But the image of God means we're created to be relational. And the, the Bible goes on and gives some bad news about what is our origin. Where do we come from? But before we get to that, Genesis 1.28 says... God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, someone said that's the only command people have ever obeyed. Be fruitful and multiply. Got it. And then he said, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Well, in uh, the original design, God made us to be responsible. God designed us to make decisions. God honors our choices, and God takes us seriously. We're responsible. We're relational, and we're also responsible. Choices have consequences. Our financial choices have consequences. Before the pandemic, we offered Financial Peace University to help people reduce debt and increase savings and emergency funds and to live with greater responsibility toward our finances. And it made me think about a situation a number of years ago. I was out with some students having pizza, and this guy put the pizza on his card and made some comment like, yeah, I'll pay for this later. Well, there was a guy in the ministry who was like a math guy. And I sat down with him later that week and I said, that pizza cost 10 bucks. But if he only made the minimum payment on his credit card, how much would that pizza actually cost him in real dollars? Okay, That's, that was the story problem, which I never got when I was in school. But I figured this math guy would. So he came back to me the next week. 
he said, well, I, got, I think I've got it figured out. That $10 pizza, if you only paid the minimum amount that's required by the credit card company, it ended up costing you $200. And I thought, wow. So I went to the student who did it, and I said, do you know how much that pizza cost you two weeks ago? I don't remember. I said, well, I do. It's 10 bucks." And you know if you don't pay off your credit card, how much that's going to cost you? He said, no. I said, $200. He said, you'd be crazy to buy a pizza for $200. It's like, right, right. See, we're responsible for our choices, and our choices have consequences. And some of the consequences show up later. My mentor, Max Barnett, when I was in college, used to say, well, you just can't sow your wild oats when you're in college and then pray for a crop failure. Well, unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. Our, our choices have consequences. And that's how God has designed us, and that's his design of the universe. We just can't push something down the road and, and ignore it and just do what we want to do. That he wants us to live out of a sense of responsibility. And so the, the good news is that we're created to be relational and responsible. Each person has dignity. But the bad news is we've rebelled against God. We, we rebel against being relational toward people. We cancel people. And you know, canceling just didn't happen when social media happened. Canceling has been going on for a long, long time. Uh, canceling is what happened when Cain killed Abel. He canceled him. He murdered him. And there's all kinds of murder happening in social media. It's rebelling against God and refusing to take responsibility for our choices. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person on earth has been through their own Garden of Eden. And we, we have said no to God. And we've said no to other people. It's like we go through life singing the song, I'll do it my way, because that's what Adam and Eve were singing when they left the Garden of Eden. J.I. Packer, a theologian, in his book Knowing God, said this, Hell is growing into the state one has chosen to be. Hell is growing into the state one has chosen to be. It's about our choices. It's about our direction that we would say no to God. And so whereas dignity is the word I'd put on the good news, the bad news, I would use the word depravity. Now that's a word I didn't get when that guy had me cornered. But as I've studied it and understood in scripture, what depravity means, it means moral corruption and wickedness. It means that we are hopelessly fallen. We're hopelessly fallen. I, I teach a class uh, 
to college-age people, and I've done it some to New Cove with other folks called the Immovable Core. And the way I describe depravity in that course is that we are willfully ignorant and virally rebellious. Willful ignorance and virally rebellious. And see, not everybody's an axe murderer, but every person has a closed fist that they're shaking at God and saying, I will do it my way. And we all have hurts and hang-ups and habits that separate us from God and other people. We all sin differently, but we all sin. 1 John 1, 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, it says, If we claim we've not sinned, we make him, God, out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Well, this is the really bad news, folks, that we are hopelessly fallen. And there's even better news that God has a plan to rescue us from that hopelessness, to rescue us from ourselves, from our ignorance, our willful ignorance and our viral rebellion. God has a plan. If you want to know about that plan, come back next week. Because that's what we're going to be talking about. But, you know, I'll give you a hint. It has to do with Jesus and what he did. That he's the ultimate rescuer from our fallen state. And so what's essential about people? Well, each person is a mixture of dignity and depravity. We are wonderfully made and hopelessly fallen. Every person here, every person who's not here, wonderfully made and hopelessly fallen. And there's a question I want to end with today. It's a question I think as followers of Jesus we need to take seriously. It's a question that will determine how effective we are in representing Jesus to other people. Because every person that you meet, every person, has a story to be read and explored and discovered. Every person is valuable. And they have a purpose and they're loved and they're cared for by God. Whether they are like you or not like you, whether they are Anglo, Hispanic, African, Asian. They are loved and cared for and valuable to God. And so here's the question I want us to end with is, how do I treat people in my life? Well, we all sin differently. I told you a story that uh, I was kind of proud of about the guy in the hardware store. It's like... Man, I did that good. But I've got a, I want to tell you a story I'm not proud of. I want to tell you a story that uh, God used to help me see people differently. 
And I'm going to invite the uh, worship team to come up while I'm telling this story. It's a story about a guy named, I'll call him Husker Jim. Husker Jim. In the early 90s, our season tickets to Nebraska football games were in the south end zone. And sometime in the early 90s, they resold the stadium, which it appears they're getting ready to do again. But they resold the stadium, and they moved us to the north end zone. And I sit in the section because I was a quasi-faculty at UNL with house mothers and secretaries and janitors. That's my, those are my people where I sit. And so we get to the North Stadium, and Mary and I get to our assigned seats, and next to, next to us comes Husker Jim. And let me tell you about Husker Jim. Husker Jim, uh, he didn't know he was ahead of his time, but he had a Duck Dynasty beard down to about here. No offense. Uh, beards are good. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you who it was, and in the 90s, this was kind of surprising, right? He had a, this one you could bring uh, beverages into the stadium. He had a, an igloo thing about this big filled with water that he held between his legs, and appropriately, he'd pick it up and take a swig out of it. And then he had on these earphones with an antenna that was going up like that. He kind of, I would just say, anyone who met Husker Jim would think he's sticking out in the crowd, okay? And he was sitting right next to me. And that was all good, except somewhere in his uprising, no one told him about deodorant. And Husker Jim had a knock-you-flat odor. I'm not kidding. When we first went in, Mary was sitting next to him, and it wasn't long before we had changed seats. (laughs) And I'll tell you, I was so glad when winter came, and he had to wear a coat that kind of held it all in. And I... I hated that. I dreaded going to the games and sitting next to Husker Jim seven times a year. So when the season tickets came to be recorded or, you know, you re-up on them, it says, would you like to change locations? What do you think I checked? Please, I beg you. Got our tickets going in. Hopefully the gym had put the same thing on Husker Jim, put the same thing on his, but there he was again. It's like, oh, dear God, help me get through this. And in my mind, I built a huge wall, better than the wall between America and Mexico, between me and Husker Jim. I ignored him. I wouldn't even look at him. I just went in and with kind of a steely thing, it's like, okay, come on, Huskers, let's go. 
just totally ignoring him. And I wish I could say that that was just, uh, that my heart softened after two years of this. And that I kind of came to my senses. I didn't. As I think about it, it was likely four or five years of just feeling that seven times a year from somebody that just totally irritated me. Well, somewhere between seasons, somehow, I don't remember how, God began to get a hold of me. Isn't it amazing how long it takes? It takes a long time for God to really begin to sanctify you and to change just this little thing of an attitude toward a guy that you carried for years. And so I, that, when that season came, I went with the purpose. And I didn't say anything to Mary about it. And in fact, I don't even think we had much conversation other than, man, he smelled today. Uh, <laughs> I could smell him, uh, <laughs> she would say. But uh, we didn't have much conversation. But I, did, I went in with the purpose to say, I'm going to, that's not who I'm going to be. That's not who Jesus would want me to be. And so I went in, and I had noticed through those years that he would bring either his little son or his little daughter with him to the games. And I had noticed that he treated them extremely well and that uh, maybe that would be his starting point. So after years, we show up at the stadium, and we go in, and he comes in bringing his jug and all the paraphernalia that he brought. And he came in. Before he could get everything adjusted, I said, Hey, I've not introduced myself. I'm Brett. And he said, I'm, I'll call him Husker Jim. And I said, Well, we've been sitting for here, here. Well, I noticed you bring your kids. That's great. What about your wife? Does she not want to come? He said, uh, well, 10 years ago, we were driving down 49th Street, and we were at 49th and S Street, and someone T-boned us, and my wife was killed instantly. And he said, it's just been a struggle every day since then to take care of those kids. They are the most important thing to me. Wow. 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 As years went by, when his son was one of the first guys to sign up for the, the war in Iraq, I said to Husker Jim, I'll pray for Matt every day. And when we would come to the games, you heard from Matt, what's going on? And I did, I prayed for Matt every day. Even when it wasn't football season. 
And if I were to see Jim and we weren't at a game because he worked at the university, and I'd see him in the union, and by the way, he carried his jug in the union too, I'd say, how's, how's Matt? How are you doing? I just really wish the story could have turned around faster. I found out Jim was a follower of Jesus. I found out that he loved Jesus. And now he's with Jesus. So we got to resist the temptation to turn people into a problem. We've got to resist the temptation to label people with a diagnosis, a disorder, or an addiction. Because every person is wonderfully made and hopelessly fallen. And they are worthy worthy of honor and respect and they have dignity and they're loved by God can we ask Jesus to help us with this let's pray Jesus I think you've put a Husker gym in every person's life and we need your help to remove the, the blinders from our eyes And we need you, Jesus, to warm our hearts. And we need you to give us courage to break through ice, to seek forgiveness if we need to, and to treat people, Jesus, the way you treated people. And we cannot do this in our own power because we are hopelessly fallen but we ask for the power of your spirit to overcome our depravity and enable us to represent you in every area of our life. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.